hello, hello. This is Toothy Toe. This is Dr. Walt Soraka. I have the pleasure of having one of my closest friends on here. Uh, he's a prosthodontist. You know, I don't just bring people on just because they're my friends or I like them. Well, actually, that's that's the only reason I bring people on, to be honest with you. Um, but but this guy knows exa- what he's talking about. He's a teacher. He's a, a world-renowned uh, speaker for different implant companies. He is a prosthodontist, so he's board-certified. And if you don't know what prosthodontist is, basically, if you need a lot of rehab, a lot of mouth rehabilitation, he's your guy to go to, okay? He does people with defects. You know, if you got in an accident, just come have a birth defects. He'll try to, you know, do implants, dentures, whatever it takes to fix you and bring you back to normal. If you have, if you got in an accident, he'll, you know, he'll do prostheses to get you to look like you did in the past, you know? So he is literally a man of all different traits and, and just a man of just wisdom so i said let's bring him on and let's talk about implants because a lot of people get excited about implants but they don't understand how implants can also go wrong so we're going to talk about uh, the problems with implants and how we can solve them so dr arav sumar what is going on sir that is the best introduction i've ever had i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you good. so much man uh and thanks for having me on tooth be told yes sir man no i'm excited i'm really excited because you know i've been trying to find somebody who you know can speak to implants right it's not just a weekend habit it's not something that you took a, a few classes and bam you you're doing implants or you're restoring implants you know because from you and i know your journey but you're going to tell everybody you know we met in residency we became close friends you were one of my groomsmen for my wedding uh, but above all that you used to place implants and then you stopped doing that correct uh yep that yeah. is true right for, so we're, we're for... gonna we're going to do all that. We're going to talk about all that. It's, right. it's kind of like a little, you know, a little preview just to kind of get people to keen, oh, continue you, to listen. But, <laughs> but let's, let's hear about Dr. Sumar. Go ahead. Tell us about yourself, please. Uh, so basically, I'm a prosthodontist. Uh, I trained at the University of Pittsburgh with yourself, obviously. Uh, I have my own clinic in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Yep. We're in the cold land. Uh, I think it's uh, the busiest clinic, definitely, I think, in Edmonton, if not Alberta. Um, it's a two-man operation, and as you know, most prosthodontists can't get along, so there's not a lot of partnerships in prosto, but uh, I used to work with Dr. Keith Compton. Um, he has recently retired, and we brought in another prosthodontist, Dr. Robert Lesniak. So it's pretty busy up there. Uh, we see all types of cases. Uh, we treat cancer patients, uh, cleft palate patients. Um, you know, severe motor vehicle accidents, gunshot wounds, all that kind of stuff. We do normal cosmetic work as well. We have an in-house laboratory, so it's uh, it's a pretty uh, we run a pretty tight ship, but it's it's fun and uh, we get to help a lot of people. Um, you know, most people, I would say at least in North America, if nowhere else, uh, there's a large focus on the smile. Everybody looks at each other's teeth, how they smile. It's how you get dates, right? So uh, right. <laughs> to be uh, to be a part of that is is nice, you know. I find that uh, a lot of our patients, you know, once we rehabilitate them, you know, they come in, they're smiling, they're happy, they're wearing makeup, you know, if they're women, well, even if they're guys, sometimes. But well, you can't judge. You can't judge. Yeah, you know, you this can't is, judge. This is no, 2019, no. almost 2020. <laughs> Whatever you want to wear, it's up to you. I don't. Um, know. But you know, it's subtle. But if you look for it, you see it. You know, when you compare the pictures, because we always look at our work and critique it. How can we do better, right? And when you're looking at those before pictures and after pictures, you know, you can see that sparkle in their eyes. They're happy. They're vibrant, right? Whereas before, 
you know, maybe a little con- self-conscious about their teeth, their smile, you know, and uh, it, it can really inhibit someone's potential. So it's great to be a part of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? Let's just dive right in because I honestly think that, you know, you are the, I mean, I want to, I want to get as much as I can from you if you don't mind. Okay. No, let's, no. Let's always. start with, let's start with this whole uh, tooth in a day, right? You hear a lot of, we call it all on four in the dental community or all on X. X being the number of implants. Okay, so talk about two, uh, all on four because a lot of people come to me and they're like, oh, can I get that tooth in a day? And they think that they're going to be able to get implants in there, get the denture, and be able to use it and function and, and never come back again. So talk about that, please. I can talk about this for a day. But right, in my well, personal opinion, we don't it's absolutely – yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. I don't do it at all in my clinic for a number of reasons, Okay. So one is to take out somebody's teeth and put in the implants and give them teeth in a day, you have to shave down a massive amount of bone. And the reason why they do that is because they're not planning it properly. So if you have ample space for acrylic and hardware and that kind of thing, and you can hide it up under the lip, let's just say if it's the you know upper arch, for instance, you have to whack down a load of bone. And how old is the patient that we're doing this on, right? That's another question to ask. Because if it's a you know, 30, 40, 50 year old patient, let's just say, well, how long do you expect those implants to last? Because they don't last forever. Uh, I would say the old Brandemark style implants, you know, in our clinic, we've seen, you know, 20, 25, 30 years of them working, right? With the newer age implants, uh, not so much. I mean, we've seen implants fail in a couple of years, five years, 10 years, significant bone loss, facial bone loss, right? Uh, exudate, all sorts of things, right? So implants are not the be-all, end-all. They are a tool, just like everything else we have in dentistry, that help us to restore someone's smile if used properly. Is there a one-in-all solution for everyone? No, there's no such thing. There's no cookie-cutter uh, recipe for all people. Uh, I think all-in-four is a disservice to people because when those implants fail, what are you going to do now? right? There's a significant loss of bone. Uh, lots of bone was plastic and then the bone loss that occurred when the implants fail. So now what are you going to do for these patients and stuff? And we have a lot of patients that come in, implants fail, and we got to try to figure out what to do with them, right? Okay. Well, see, that's exactly what I've been telling people. You know, they get excited about it because they see, you know, uh, different companies, and I'm not going to say any names. I can't afford lawyers like that. So, I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but they advertise for, you know, all these tooth in a day, tooth in a day. And I, and I get irritated because patients get excited. They're like, well, how come you can't do this tooth in a day? And I said this because, you know, I say, I say, I t- I say this all the time. They go, why can't you do a tooth in a day? And I said, because I like you. I don't want to mess up your your bite. I don't want to mess up your face. I don't want to mess this up. Every time you shave down that much bone, you've aged that person at least 10, 20 years. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Okay, so to add on to that, it depends how you design the prosthesis then. So if you're shaving down that much bone, your prosthesis is that thick, that wide, how do you clean that? How do you keep that clean? How do you keep those implants clean, right? And when you're doing... uh, the tooth and the teeth in a day, whatever you want to call it, um, they're relining that denture on top of those implants. Usually there's a ridge lap on top of the uh, ridge, uh, meaning that it's concave, meaning that you can't clean it properly. And I've seen, you know, even here, we've had some practitioners uh, do that type of prosthesis and within two years, two of the implants failed because you cannot keep it clean. You cannot put a flange or have a 
kind of convex profile on the ridge, just that you can't do that with implants if you're doing something fixed. If you're doing something removable and the patient can take it out and clean it, that's fine. No problem, right? But uh, you can't do that with something fixed. And a lot of people don't understand how to properly fabricate a fixed prosthesis for longevity. Anybody can make a fixed prosthesis if you want it to last six months. But when you want it to last 10, 15, you know, 20 plus years, uh, you have to design it completely differently. Okay, so for the people that are listening that are not uh, doctors, a fixed prosthesis is basically something that you screw in and you cannot, you as the patient cannot remove it. It has You have to go back to your doctor or provider to have that removed and it stays in permanently until we remove it. So I just want to make sure people understand what he's, you know, what you're saying. Um, you, you mentioned something. You went back to old school. I'm talking about Brennamark, the originator of dental implants, the guy that brought dental implants to our uh, atmosphere, <laughs> if you may, you know, uh, into our yeah. solar system. So you said Brennamark implants were lasting 20, 30 years, but you're noticing that the newer implants aren't lasting as long do you think it's one and i'm going to give you options do you think it's one just you know we're doing crappier jobs with implants do you think two that the the clinicians aren't being as uh, um aren't being as you know cautious with placing implants or do you think three both um it's that and more so one is there's a lot of practitioners that take weekend courses uh, that are placing implants that don't have the experience to do some of those cases. Uh, so there is operator error. There is also the fact that we are trying to put implants everywhere now, whereas the original Brennamark protocols were for mandibular fixed prostheses. And obviously we know the bone in the anterior mandible or lower jaw is uh, usually more dense uh, and implants do better in those regions. But now we're, you know, extrapolating it, and, and which is great. You always want to push science, right? So I'm not discrediting it. But, um, you know, when you're doing huge bone grafting procedures, how long is that bone going to last, right? When is it going to resorb? What kind of results are we going to get? So one thing we're seeing is, uh, especially in the maxilla with the larger bone grafting cases, uh, and even over time, the bone resorbs, right? The maxillary bone resorbs in an upward and posterior fashion. And usually we find that the kind of buccal area of the implant can become exposed, right? Not necessarily, or at least there's bone loss. And even if there's soft tissue coverage, there can be deep pockets, 8, 9, 10, 12 millimeters, right? And um, that became that becomes a plaque trap. Uh, you get exudate coming out of there and eventually the loss of the dental implants, right, or possible infection. Um, so that's happening. What else is happening? The um, design of implants has changed. So now we're seeing rougher and rougher surfaces, whereas the Brennamark was machined. And even if there was exposure of the implant, it was easier to clean. Now it's not so easy to clean, right? So there's a, there's many, many factors for why we're seeing what we're seeing. Even the design of the uh, platform of the implants, right? Conical versus flat mm-hmm. top, how each of them kind of uh, performs in different environments, right? right? Whether there's a collar or not. Well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about um, you You get to work with multiple uh, clinicians, right? You get to work with oral surgeons. You work with general dentists. You work with periodontists, myself, like like myself, you know. And, yep. um, you get a chance to see all kinds of patients. Let's talk about you know, what you're seeing with clinicians now, 
Right. And I'm not just specifically talking about just the people that you specifically work with, but overall, because you've talked to other prosthodontists. Like, what what is dentistry becoming? Do you think that dentistry is going backwards when it comes to the knowledge that some of our clinician friends know? Because I think so. I think that we're not trying to even understand our materials anymore. We don't know what the, what the consequences are with these implants. Yeah, 100%. Um, there, again, there's a few things going on. So one is, you know, there's, uh, there's been the exponential growth of technology and dentistry, which has been great. Uh, but I think there's a reliance too much on that technology and a lack of uh, clinical know-how. So when something goes wrong, you don't know how to deal with it, right? Um, so I think that's happening. Wait a I think let's, that let's, let's let me pause you for a second. That, that was interesting. Yep. So you're saying that sometimes you know we know that technology is great because you have tons of toys in your office. I mean, don't I know that right? You have yep. scanners, yep. you have all kinds of you know three D mills, three D printers. But yep. you're saying that we're relying too much on those technologies and not more on our actual clinical skills and knowledge. Well, let me put it to you this way: if you don't know how to fly a plane. What are you going to do with autopilot? You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I dig that. I like that. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, there's all this. You're right. You're right. Right. You know, you can fly a small plane and, you know, a few low technologies and you go to big plane and has all this stuff. You're going to be looking at it, they're all confused. But you're like, well, well, I'll just stick to this, you know. And let's not pretend that there isn't um, errors even in the technology, right? So when you're using a, uh, you know, flapless surgical guide, so, well, that might not be exactly where you think it's going, especially if it's tight, right? So you got to be able to fly the ship. You raise the flap, you look at the bone, you know, you coordinate, right? And if you don't have the skill set to do that, then you have no business placing implants. Well, but then these companies sell to the to the uh, doctor and it's like, hey, look, I'm making your life a lot easier. Why don't you just use this? You know, I actually saw a machine when I went to my last conference that all you do is look at the screen, okay? You basically drill and it gives you like a three-dimensional like sonogram that allows you to see where your bone and your implant is going while you Yeah, that's going. horrible. That to me is scary because now you're not even paying attention to the patient. You know, but this is what people are selling and buying, and I think it's crazy. But go ahead, speak on that. I mean, you deal with this because a lot of the implant failures you see. Yeah, we see a lot. We deal with most of the complications, I'd say, in Edmonton. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and even with these companies, it's um, the the fact that they have the ability to, to push these things on clinicians and that clinicians aren't kind of double-checking their facts, right? Um, it's, it is scary, right? Like to me, there should be, okay, well, let me see. Okay. Let me put it to you this way. So you go see your general doctor, right? Mm -hmm. He checks your blood pressure and it's high, right? Okay. And maybe he thinks you have some blockage in your heart, something like that. Does he put you on the table there and do open heart surgery on you? <laughs> not that I've does heard he? Of, not that I've heard of. No, right? No, he doesn't. And because the specialist would rip that dent, sorry, that doctor apart, and they would lose their license. So why do we do that in dentistry? Oh, okay. Well, go, go expand on that because I'm actually I like the way where you're going with this, but I don't know if everybody is kind of following you. So expand on that. Okay. Right? So in yeah. medicine, yeah. there's certain people that have you know, uh, taking the time to specialize. They are the best and the best in that field, like ENTs, dermatologists, all that stuff, right? Plastics. 
So if a doctor that is not trained adequately and did not go through those programs uh, decides to do a Brazilian butt lift, for instance, and it goes wrong, that doctor will be severely reprimanded, right? Right. Uh, but we don't have that in dentistry. As soon as you become a dentist, you can do all and any procedures. And to me, you know, placing a dental implant is no different than somebody getting, uh, you know, a hip replacement. We're using titanium. We're, you know, well, depending on the material choice, but let's just say, we'll say yeah. uh, you know, you're screwing it into the bone, right? In fact, I would argue that, um, Dental surgery is more dangerous because there's billions of bacteria in your mouth. At least hip surgery is done in a sterile field, more or less, right? Right. But it, but in dentistry, you're cutting the gums. There's billions of bacteria. You're exposing the bone. You know, you're drilling into the bone. You're placing an implant. So that's why, um, you know, whenever somebody asks me, hey, should I go get my dentistry done in, you know, Mexico or whatever other country? I'm like, well, let me ask you this. Would you get your hip replaced in Mexico, right, or whatever other country? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, why not, right? They're like, well, I don't know. Like, it's, you know, the drilling into my bone and this and that, right? I'm like, what do you think a dental implant is, right? That's true. You know, but, you know, let me just say, though, and I will kind of defend, right? Let me say that, you know, when I go to these conferences, I see what they're doing in other countries. And, I mean, they're sometimes light years ahead of us. You know, what they've been doing, we're just finally starting to get in there. So they're more experimental and they're able to uh, kind of push the envelope a little more, right? Uh, yeah, but at the cost of the patients, right? Like what happens when it doesn't work? And then I would argue that, okay, so I mean, and here's the thing. I'm not saying all conditions are bad in Mexico no, or, no. or, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But the problem is that, okay, you fly down there. You get your dentistry done. You come back. Now you have a complication. Whose problem is it? You're going to fly back to Mexico? Right. Very true. And so, especially in Canada, because, you know, we have uh, uh, our healthcare system. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so people go get complications. Uh, it's even medical ones. Like, let's go say they get a Brazilian butt lift somewhere. Right. Um, you know, and then there's a problem. Well, it's a burden on our on our healthcare system then. Right. At least in dentistry, it's private. But even then, like, you know, myself, a lot of the oral surgeons, they're seeing all these complications and now they're increasing their fees to deal with them because they're like, well, why should we have to deal with these complications when we didn't even do it, right? Well, so then that means, I mean, honestly, making, it's making the dentist look bad, right? Because they're like, well, why are you paying so, why, you know, why are you charging me so much or what's going on with your fees and da da da, right? So patients look at it and think, well, how come you're charging me so much? Why is dentistry so expensive? But they're not looking at the fact that, one, we're trying to fix your complications that you brought upon yourself. You know, everybody always yells at me for, oh, well, why why is it so expensive for you to do surgery, uh, like gum surgery or, or you know, uh, periodontal, which is like bone loss surgery. And I was like, well, how long did it take you to get th to this point, right? Not brushing your teeth, not flossing, not going through all that, right? How long did I take you? And you expect me to do this work in a day. Well, can't you do teeth in a day? <laughs> well, I try not to, because again, <laughs> stupidity, right? But that's what, exactly it, though. That's right. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time. You know, oh man, man, you got me started. But anyway, let's talk about let's talk about dental complications. Let's talk about why you're seeing so much more dental complications, uh, or, or dental implant complications. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Um, yeah, I mean, we are seeing more complications in general, and that's because there's uh, an excess number of dentists. Like here in Edmonton, there's a dentist on every single corner, right? Okay. Um, you know, most dentists now want to keep everything in-house. They don't want to refer, which, um, well, I don't want to say most, but the trend is increasing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to make generalizations, but, um, and that's a problem too, because now, like, you know, to me, it's your... Uh, a jack of all trades or and a master of none, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to do root canals, you're going to do ortho, you're going to extract wisdom teeth, you're going to do periosurgery, you're going to do prosthetics, you know, you're going to place implants. How can you be good at all those things? I'm not good at all those things. I'm right. good at one, you know, like a handful of things, right? right? right. But I'm really good at them, right? And then again, so is that, you know, for me, if if I can't do something as good or better than the majority of people doing it or the specialists, then I don't really want to do it, you know? So like a simple implant case, for instance, like I can do it. I could probably do it just as good as you, more or less. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as soon as it involves tissue grafting, uh, you know, maybe bone grafting, sinus lifts, that kind of, I'm out. I can't do it as good as you, you know? Well, there you go. So then let's talk about why people are actually pushing and doing more than they really should. I say it's because they're selfish and greedy. I do. I say that, right? And I'm not saying that everybody. I'm not I'm really. I do believe that there are some general dentists that take the time to learn and and can do as good as I I can. And I'm not going to hate on that at all. But I do believe a lot of people. It's a trend, right? Like for example, I'm seeing a lot more uh, sleep apnea. You know, uh, you know, hey, come and take my course in sleep apnea. You'll make so much money. Or you should. Everybody should do an implants because implants are so easy to do and. You know, that's what yeah. I'm seeing. So it's kind of going towards the greed aspect. Talk about that. Well, and, and it's tough because with dentistry, there is the business aspect and there's the healthcare aspect. Now, I told myself when I was going through dental school that I will always put patient care first and I'll always do the best I can. And I always felt that if I did a good job, you know, money would come after that. Like we would make a decent living and stuff like, you know. Right. Um, and I feel that that's true because at the end of the day, if you treat people with respect, if you do a good job, they will come see you. You know, now there's another, you know, part of the population that just wants it quick, quick, cheap and easy. And that's it. And that's fine, too. But, you know, everybody. One thing I've learned is, you know, all patients have different desires for, you know, what they see is best for themselves. My job is only to educate. So when I see a patient, I do a workup. I look at everything in detail. I sit down with them. I have a treatment consultation. I tell them the different treatment options. I tell them the pros and cons of each treatment option because there are pros and cons to each treatment option. There is nothing that is, you know, the right thing to do. That's foolproof. That's no. There's pros and cons to everything. And it's just what pros and cons does a patient want to deal with? Whether, you know, it's surgery, whether it's finances, whether it's removable versus a fixed prosthesis, whether it's, you know, psychological, you know, uh, and you have to cater treatment to each person. I mean, I would say in dentistry, I think we're very advanced. You know, like if you look at medicine to cure many things in medicine, you can't, you, you know, but in dentistry, I mean, we can have a success rate of, you know, 90 some percent right. with the treatment that we provide and stuff. Right. Right. Which is amazing. But then it's like, let's not take it for granted and abuse it either. Right. Okay. Well, you know, sometimes I list, I have my patients uh, kind of ask me some of these questions. And, and so I want to kind of, I want to ask you this, right? People talk yeah. about, they see 
dentists giving discounts. Like I, I've seen people on Instagram. I've seen people posted on Facebook. You know, talking about, hey, you know, we're doing a, a special, you know, holiday uh, discount for implants. You come and we'll place four or five year implants for like two dollars. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But, you know, a dollar ninety nine. But <laughs> but that's what they're doing. And and to me, I don't discount my work because how am I going to act like am I going to treat you differently am I going to use lesser material on you so why would I discount I'm not Walmart Walmart can discount there because they do bulk I don't right. discount so talk about that please yeah and that's the difference between the business side and the healthcare side and there are those that fall more on the healthcare side such as you and I that say listen like I need to do the best job I can for you this is what it costs because at the end of the day, people don't realize how astronomical our overhead is. Right. Like my overhead is somewhere between a hundred thousand to, you know, maybe a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a month. Right? A That's month. just my bills. A month. Oh yeah. A month. That's because a of my staff. That's a house bill. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's just because, you know, I have the best staff. I have an in-house laboratory. We provide good product. We provide good service. You know, I'm there for my patients, you know, and even, you know, if we have some complications with some of the work and I think it's, you know, something that, you know, we could do better or that it's a lab problem, that kind of thing, I just redo it. But that's just, you know, because I take pride in my work and I want people to be happy with what we do. And so are our fees higher? Absolutely, they're higher, right? I mean, I'm not going to charge the same as a general dentist because I believe that my product is much superior and in the long run it will last longer and do better better aesthetics everything like that and that's what we're geared up for that's why i'm a prosthodontist at the end of the day right right um but you know the patients that come to me they will they're the ones that see value in that right there are those who just say oh, i have pain somebody pull out my tooth and that's fine too right uh, every, like I said, everybody wants something different at the end of the day. Everybody wants to invest in something different. Some people might invest, you know, $40,000 in fixing up their teeth and having a nice smile and, uh, you know, being out of pain and functioning. Other people would rather take out their teeth, get dentures and buy a new truck. And there's nothing wrong with either one. It's just, there's pros and cons to everything, right? That makes sense. That's actually really good. That's funny that you say that because you're right. Some people won't blink an eye at, at spending thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars on a car that's going to last you maybe four or five years, right? Yeah. But then when you tell them, "Hey, this case is going to cost you twenty thousand or ten thousand, they're like, "Are you crazy? That's outrageous!" And I'm like, "But this." is going to last you a lot longer and you use it more. You know, I was telling my well, patients, well, I'm like, yeah. you don't realize how much you use your teeth versus your car that's sitting out there. Right. And here's the thing, Walter. So, you know, uh, let's say I do a full mouth rehab, right? Mm -hmm. Well, how long do I expect a crown to last? I'm hoping at least 10 to 15 years, if not 20 to 25. That's what I shoot for. Well, it's yeah. not that I can guarantee it every time just because, you know, like, like you know, let's say I did... Uh, uh, let's say I did some crowns for you, right? Yep. If you stayed exactly the same way as you are now for the next 20, 25 years, I think that thing would last you forever, right? Right. But the thing is we don't. And what people don't understand is that the mouth is a hostile environment. Mm -hmm. There's billions of bacteria in there. You know, you're eating lots of sugars. You're having acidic foods and hot foods and cold foods. And you're, uh, you know, the bacteria are producing acid, right? Um, you know, how good is their oral hygiene and maintenance? How well are they cleaning that implant, right? How much are they coming in for hygiene? So I actually changed all my protocols uh, uh, for bigger cases. I make the patients come in every three to four months. And if I see them in the very beginning and they're like, yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll, um, we want this work done here, but, uh, 
we're not really going to clean our teeth. Maybe we'll get a cleaning once a year, that kind of thing. And if I don't feel that it can be maintained, I tell them to go somewhere else. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to just make a quick buck or anything like that. That's my reputation at the end of the day. And uh, it's a negotiation between me and the patients, right? So on the one hand, the patient's coming to me. What can you do? Can you give me what I want? It's like, okay, yeah, I can give you what you want. But you're going to have to do this, this, and this for it, right? You're going to have to come in for regular three to four month interval cleanings. You're going to have to use a water pick, for instance. You're going to have to, you know, maybe they have a high caries rate. So you got to be on high dose fluoride, right? Maybe, or, um, you know, cut down your sugars, right? Stop smoking. You know, if they're like a chain smoker and they're like, we want implants. I mean, we might do the case. Sometimes I say no, but sometimes we might do the case, but I'm like, it's at your own risk. And if you get osteomyelitis, you lose half your jaw or whatever. It's not on me. Like, understand that and stuff. And I, I go into great detail explaining all these things to people, right? At the end of the day, I can't stop them, right? I can't make them quit smoking. I can't make them, you know, but I eat less sugar, right? Right. Exactly. But I go into detail on it and I'm like, Hey, like, do, are we in agreement here or not? Right. And if I think that a patient has unrealistic expectations or that I can't make them happy, uh, I tell them to go somewhere else. I'm like, I don't have a problem doing that. I'm like, if I don't feel like I can meet somebody's wants or needs, um, they can find somebody who thinks they can. Okay. Right. Let's talk about this for my patients that are, lis- you know, my patients that listen and, and people that are just listening and aren't doctors. What are some of the signs that you look for when you know that an implant is failing? Like, what are some of the things that they can look for at home? Okay. So, basically, um, exudate. So, basically, a bad uh, taste in the mouth. Or if you push on the tissue and some pus comes out, usually that's not a good sign. Uh, Mobility of the implant. So, if there's an implant. Now, that could also be that the implant crown is loose too, right? But, basically, you wiggle the implant crown. Um, it could be a problem with the screw, screw loosen, that kind of thing. It could be that the implant or the implant crown is still intact to the implant, but the implant itself is loose, right? So mobility is not a good thing. Um, obviously when I take a radiograph, but you have to go, you know, see a dentist to get that. Uh, if we see bone loss, right? Um, those are the major signs. Um, usually, uh, when I, um, restore implants, I like to see the patient at least once a year if they're getting their cleanings done somewhere else, especially, particularly if it's a simple case. Um, but every year I do a full check. I take a radiograph. I check the occlusion. Um, you know, uh, usually we fabricate a night guard. So they wear a night guard to bed. So they're not clenching and grinding on that implant. Right. So I take every precaution I can just to make sure that, um, those implants and the prostheses last as long as possible. How do patients know that the person that's working on them, the dentist or the surgeon, knows what they're doing when it comes to implants? Because I've had, I've worked with people and I've had people uh, that I worked with or that have have referred to me, and I'm looking and they're sending, they're like, "Oh, go to the periodontist. Um, this there's a problem. The gum is swollen or whatever it may be." And I look and I'm like, "Well, that's not a an implant situ- uh, problem. That's actually the crown." That's a problem, you see, and and so how do patients? How can patients know when a doctor knows what they're talking about, and what are some of the things that they should kind of look out for for a good clinician? Well, you know, one of the things that's that's changed recently too, I think, is that there's a lot of patients hopping from dentist to dentist. Where I think before there was more loyalty to a particular dentist, so you would have a particular relationship with them, and then you would know what they can do and can't do, right? Right. And hopefully that dentist would be honest with you as well, and 
uh, and tell you that something is out of their league or out of their scope, right? But, you know, if you're seeing somebody for the first time or first few times, that kind of thing, I mean, personally, I wouldn't get any major work done with that person until you develop a good relationship with them, right? Or if they're a specialist. And that's not even saying that every single specialist is good, right? I mean, I agree. Yeah. there's a range within specialties too, right? But, um, but at least then you can be sure that that practitioner has had, you know, two plus years of additional education. Uh, you know, for myself, it was three. Um, in that particular field, right? And then a lot is going to be word of mouth, you know, even the internet reviews now and that kind of thing, you can't really trust them as much anymore, right? Particularly the anonymous ones. So it is hard to find, you know, that information with regards to who will actually do a good job. And sometimes you can't be 100% sure, you know? I think it's important to meet with practitioners and you know if you feel that you're not getting a good vibe from them or it doesn't make sense or it's not how you thought it would be get a second opinion get a third opinion get a fourth opinion it's your mouth at the end of the day it's you know your teeth are an appendage of your body right right. and it's a lot of money at the end of the day too so make sure you know it's like you know when you play the stock market do you just, you know, pick a stock and be like, yeah, I think I'll invest 20000 in there. Let's see how it goes, right? No. <laughs> right. You do your research. Right. You look at, you know, the different options. You think which one will perform, which one has the best business model, etc. And then you just, you make a responsible uh, decision to invest in something. And that's, I think, one of the issues in dentistry is that patients have responsibility in their own care too. And, um, you know, you need to take personal responsibility and make appropriate decisions. You know, if you go get foreign dentistry done and it goes great, then good on you. If it doesn't go great, then, you know, that's a decision you made and now you got to deal with the consequences, right? I agree. So, uh, to wrap this up, what are some of the advice that you could give to patients, to doctors, when it comes to dental implants? You know, because again, you get a chance to see a, a gambit of different proceed, you know, different uh, dentist, uh, dental work. You get a chance to see different scopes of like dental dentistry, from literally doing a full mouth rehab, you taking all the teeth out and re- restoring everything to a single implant. What is kind of like a takeaway for dental implants that you wish more people would know? Um, okay, implants are not going to last forever. So if anybody tells you they're going to last forever, you should not see that practitioner anymore because they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, that's just dangerous. Nothing lasts forever in dentistry. The game is how do we prolong the inevitable? What's the inevitable? You lose all your teeth. Even you, Walter, if you, you know, like you look after your teeth, but if you live till 100, maybe 150, something like that, you're going to lose some chiclets along the way. That's just the way it is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, knowing that, the, like the way I practice dentistry is how do I prolong the inevitable? How do I create a situation where we can postpone the loss of teeth or create a situation where we can replace teeth in a in the most comfortable, cost-effective manner? So what do I mean by that? So let's say there's, you know, um, let's say there's a kid, right? Say, uh, you know, 16, 18 years old, that kind of thing, missing a lateral incisor, right? Which congenitally can happen, right? So they're missing one tooth. Mm -hmm. So what do we do in that space? Well, we do orthodontics usually, right? Get the proper spacing. Now, do we do a bridge or do we do an implant? You could do either one. But 
it's a young person. They're 18, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, so do we really want to buzz down two additional teeth just to replace one? Because that bridge is going to need to be redone, right? Um, obviously, there's more factors involved, such right. as the bone, that kind of thing, right? But, uh, but just, you know, food for thought, right? So what is going to happen when each thing fails? When that bridge fails, it might be a cavity, something like that, right? So maybe the bridge has to be redone then in 10 years, right? Um, or worst case scenario, one of the teeth is lost. Now you're missing two teeth, right? Let's look at the implant option. The implant fails. What's going to happen? There's probably going to be a big bony defect there, right? Um, yeah, so you, you normally lose a lot of bone when implants fail, a lot of bone. Right? But then if if it can be salvaged in such a way, you might be able to do the bridge afterwards with some tissue grafting and create a nice aesthetic result, right? So that's the type of planning I'm doing nowadays. I'm trying to plan that, okay, in the next 50 years, what is it going to take for this problem to be fixed? And when it fails, what are we going to do about it? And how are we going to make it as easy as possible, right? Sometimes that means using implants. Sometimes that means using bridges. Sometimes that means, you know, um, multiple implants or partial dentures or, you know, there's no right or wrong solution, but it's just, what are we going to do when future problems arise? How are we going to deal with all these things? And how are we going to make it make sense? So to me, we're always trying to make something better. So, you know, let's say, you know, you're missing a, a molar tooth and the upper tooth has super erupted now and has kind of gone into that space a little bit. Well, you don't just fix that one tooth and leave it as is. You're going to create a, roll, a roller coaster ride of teeth in the future if you keep doing that, right? You need to accommodate that and move that tooth that drifted down back into its normal place, whether it's with orthodontics or a crown or even just a little enamelplasty just to make it a little bit better. And I think that if more people kind of thought in that way, less dental work would be required. So It's so funny that you say that. That's kind of where I was going to go with that. You know, I feel like a lot of dentists are not thinking ahead. I feel like a lot of dentists are not planning out the whole case. They only but the look problem is, Walter, not to cut you off, but no. they're not trained to. I teach at the dental school, right? And I love my students, don't so get me wrong, and they're all very competent. But the problem is that there's not enough time to give them all the knowledge that I think they need. Now, obviously, my standards are a little bit higher because I'm frosted honest, right? Right. But, you know, you try to give them the pros of wisdom and stuff, but they're not trained to treatment plan comprehensively. They're trained to, you know, treat cavities or this tooth needs a crown or there's a hole there, that kind of thing, right? And and I used to be like that too, so I'm not even criticizing that. So but then after I went me, to prosthetic, wait, yeah. Wait you're telling me that the dental students are trained to kind of pigeonhole just one, 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 one problem and fix that one problem. Well, yeah, because there's not, like, it's prosto school where you learn to treatment plan comprehensively and look at the whole mouth and figure out what to do. It's complicated, right? You can't. So to me, you know, dentists, uh, you know, doing fillings, you know, some crowns, um, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's great. And they do a great job at it, right? But when it comes to, you know, full mouth rehabs, that kind of thing, unless you've gone for a lot of advanced training, how are you going to do a good job? How are you going to control for everything, right? So, again, it goes back to the medical model, right? 
you know, you're not just a general doctor that, you know, puts a patient on the table and does open heart surgery right then and there, right? There's right. specialties for a reason. I think that, um, you know, uh, dentistry in general has kind of poo-pooed on the specialties. Uh, they're not valued as much unless there's a complication, right? That I can um, agree with you on that. That is very but, true. Uh, but to me, and like I said, there's a range of different dental skill levels. And I'm not saying dentists shouldn't do this or that, but it's just, you know, go for the additional training then. Be at the competency of a specialist if you're going to do it. If you're not, then why are you doing it? Right? Well, money. And that's, I think that's where it comes down to, really. If I have to be completely honest, I think it comes down to straight money. They go, oh, well, if I do an implant and it takes me 30 minutes to do it and I can charge $2,000, why not do that? Versus, Yeah, but here's what they're not thinking about, Walter, because I've already worked out these models. So here's the thing. For a dentist, so let's say you're proficient at placing implants, correct? Yes, How long does it take you to place an implant? Oh, man, I could probably do that in like 5, 10 minutes. You know, from beginning to end, like getting the patients numb and everything, we can go... 15, 20 minutes if I have to wait for them to get numb and then actually do it. Right. But yeah. somebody who is not proficient at placing implants, it'll probably take them an hour for everything. Because look at it this way. Now, let's let's assume they're actually st- setting up a sterile field, right? right? So 10 minutes for your staff to set up a sterile field, okay, right? Yeah, you you're, bring including, the, you're including all that. Okay, yeah. I see what you're You bring saying. the patient in. You freeze, right? Mm-hmm. You get ready to go. It's going to take them 30, 45 minutes probably to place the implant, right? Right. Uh, and then another, you know, 10, 15 minutes to clean up, another five minutes for post-op, that kind of thing, right? Right. In that amount of time, they, if they were just doing fillings, they would have actually made more money than placing the implant if we're talking about the business model, but right? But it's not sexy enough. But that's the thing, right? Is that, you know, if you're looking at business, it does not make sense to be a jack of all trades because to keep all that overhead on your shelf, right? Uh, the stress of doing these procedures when you're not that good at them, and you know, Walter, when I go to sleep at night, I fall asleep in two minutes. If it takes me five minutes to fall asleep, I'm upset because I should be, fa- you know, fall asleep faster than that. Why is that? Because my conscience is clear at the end of the day. I know I did the best job I could. I know that I did not put anybody in harm's way if I could help it. That is right. Right. Um, I and and I have no worries. You know what I mean? Right. Um, because you know, I feel like I'm one of the best at what I do and. And I can fix almost anything, right? Right. Um, but, you know, if I was, you know, on the side because I needed more money doing root canal treatments and I'm not that good at it and I'm sweating over it and it didn't go well and I broke a file in the canal and that kind of thing, well, that's a stressful life. It it's is. like no wonder, no wonder dentists have a high suicide rate, you know? Well, they did. They did. You know, they, I mean, it's, they still do. <laughs> okay. Well, that stat was back in the 70s during the recession. The great, uh, great recession, I guess is what you want to call it. Uh, and then people just kind of continue that. But I can honestly tell you now that, you know, what's, what's, you know, people, what people love, what's sexy, right? Is, oh, look, well, how many implants I'm placing or look at me doing this full mouth rehab. And it's funny because a lot of doctors will take these full mouth rehab courses, right? Without yeah. taking a single occlusal occlusion course. And occlusion is not sexy. It's not fun. It's not that exciting to even learn. Right, you, that's all nope. you, you guys spend like a whole year on that, right? It's not, it's not oh, sexy, yeah. but you have to know that in order to re- make sure that the work you just did and the amount of money you charge that patient it actually is going to last you the 10, 20, 30 years. You see, well, you know, Walter, here's the question How are you going to do a full month rehab when you don't even know how to make a denture properly? Well, they, they don't think the... about that though. They think about, oh, okay, how, how can I get this, these teeth cut down? 
have the lab do the work for me, 90% of the work, because they don't tell the lab what to do. They don't take the right uh, measurements, right? They just say, hey, give me teeth in here. They put the teeth in there, and then they take pictures and put it on Instagram, and they say, hey, look how great I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, but, you know, my point with the denture is that, you know, when you make a denture, when somebody does not have teeth, and you have to figure out where to put the teeth, what's the bite, how to make them speak properly, right? how to make it comfortable, all that kind of stuff. That's where you learn how to do a full mouth rehab, right? Sure. So it's like if you don't have the skill set to even do that, then it's like you have no business doing a full mouth rehab, in my opinion. Okay. And that's why even my dental students, I'm like, hey, you guys want to do sexy cases? You want to do full mouth rehabs and stuff? Learn how to do a denture properly. There you go. There you go. And I think I'm going to leave. Right? Where do the teeth need to be? We're going to leave it on that. I, I think that what you said is very true, and I believe that you know we'll come back um, and, and kind of dive into more what's going on in dentistry. But I do believe what you said is true, right? You have to be able to sleep well at night. You have to be honest with people. And I do believe that patients have to also do their due diligence and stop expecting something overnight. It's not going to happen. So to the viewers listening, if you want good quality work, Come to Vivid Prosthodontics in Edmonton. See, you know, www.vividdental.ca. Give us that. Give that. Give that again, please. www.vividdental.ca. And you know, please tell us where in Edmonton and how can they get a hold of you if they have more questions about excellent dentistry. Um, well, Vivid Prosthodontics. We have our website. Our office number is on there. Uh, in Edmonton, we're located in downtown. We'll probably be moving eventually, but for now, we're in downtown uh, near the LRT line. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm always around to answer questions. I mean, if you get emails from viewers, that kind of thing, they want me to come back on the show and talk about something. I can talk for days. I should get my own podcast, actually. <laughs> <laughs> don't, take, don't, don't, take, don't take my people but uh, <laughs> but no honestly this was awesome thank you so much man i I know you're busy uh, i appreciate the time that you took to come in here and educate our listeners and i really want you to come back on so we can do another uh, episode on just kind of what you're seeing because we can talk about teaching in dental schools i think that's what people need to understand that the the crop of dentists that are coming in i'm not sure if the quality is 100 percent there I don't. I, I feel like we have to slow down. I feel like we have to ex stop expecting them to to do so much, to learn so much. I think dentistry should be five years actually in school and get that extra year just to kind of practice a little bit more before they're released into the wild, experimenting on people. You I know. Agree. I agree. Well, I'm going to leave right there. That's beautiful, actually. So uh, <laughs> we will cut it off here. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Doctor Sumar, for coming in. I appreciate you taking time to educate our listeners, and we will talk soon. Yeah, and uh, thank you for both of the listeners that that listen. You know, well, it's three, but mom listens. So it's three. Is it three? Three it's listeners. Three, it's three now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Okay, no worries. It's a pleasure. See you, Walter. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an s at gmail dot com. That's realdentist r e a l dentist with an s at gmail dot com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that, our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.